campaign. You see the title of the sermon, Fathers, Anger, and Hope in Christ. And as I did last week, I want to read verses 18 to 21, uh, the whole little section here, which really explains how all family members in a household are to exalt Christ together in their relationships. So I'm going to begin in verse 18. Let's hear God's living and eternal word. Verse 18, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. And husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. And thus says the Lord God. Let me lead us in prayer again as we seek his help. Our holy and loving Father in heaven, please help us now as we hear your word. Every single one of us have been touched in either a helpful or harmful way by what we've known with our earthly fathers. But you are the perfect, good, wise, and eternal Father who created us to worship and delight in you. And you've given your Son in love, our Lord Jesus Christ, so that through faith in him, we can be forgiven and reconciled and adopted into your family. And what comforting life and hope that you give us in Christ. And so, Father, as we hear your commands for earthly dads and by extension moms as well this morning, please work by your Spirit to transform us. Please break and then build us, convict, and then cleanse us in the fullness of your grace and truth in Jesus. And Father, please help me to faithfully, simply, and clearly preach your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I think we all know that for better or for worse, every single one of us has been deeply impacted and influenced by our human father. For some, the impact is positive and pleasant, but for others, the impact is very negative, very painful. But the powerful influence of a dad on his children, whether good or bad, is a universal, undeniable, and inescapable reality. And this is so because of God having designed it this way. God has placed fathers as the head of the household. This is the way things are because God has made it so. And so whether you had or have a good and a wonderful father on earth or a bad and a difficult father, or a dad maybe somewhere in between, your earthly dad has greatly impacted you. And Paul's brief but very penetrating exhortation here in verse 21 really recognizes and uh, acknowledges the impact and the influence of dads on their kids. Now, of course, there's a sense in which this exhortation applies to both parents, to moms and to dads. But it is interesting because in verse 20, Paul has just exhorted children to obey their parents, plural. And we looked at that last week, to obey them in everything, for this pleases the Lord. And we understand that not only dads, but moms also 
have a mighty impact and influence on their kids. So we asked the question at the very beginning, why does Paul only address dads here in verse 21, having just spoken of both parents in verse 20? And I believe he singles out dads because he understands the weight of responsibility that God has given to dads for raising kids in a Christ-exalting way. Though moms are involved in that as well, the weight of responsibility falls squarely on dad because he's the head of the home. On dad who is also the husband who's called to love and to lead his wife without harshness, as Paul has just commanded, as we heard in verses 18 or 19 there. And so dads in particular, I want to encourage you to kind of buckle in this morning. Because this is God's loving word, especially for you, even though it applies to moms as well. And certainly there's points of application for all of us. And I might say for anybody else here who is not a dad, at a minimum, these truths should help you know how to pray for those who are dads this morning and how to come alongside and encourage them in what God has called them to. We all desperately need God's help. So at a minimum, let this inform you how to pray. But ultimately for all of us, even as it also provokes us probably to think about our own earthly fathers, my prayer is that we'll come to know and worship and enjoy and delight in our Father in heaven ever more fully as we taste and see how good he is to those who trust him. And so Paul's exhortation here in verse 21, which is in connection with a similar exhortation that we're going to look at momentarily in Ephesians chapter 6, this exhortation expresses God's call for dads. And let me summarize it this way. This is the big idea. This is the main point. In fact, for any of you children who are still in here, when you're driving home with your family later today and maybe a parent asks you, what was the big idea? Well, here it is. Here's the point of what Paul is saying in verse 21. I think we can summarize it this way. Dads, God calls you to nurture and not crush your children. Dads, God calls you to nurture and not crush your children. And if you're a mom here this morning as well, it's okay to take this exhortation for yourself as well. But the, but the big responsibility falls on dads to nurture and not crush your children. Now within this brief exhortation, I see at least four realities that every dad, every parent needs to take to heart. Four realities that really define and inform your calling as a dad. There is a duty, and there is a danger, and there is a harvest, and there is a hope. Those are the four realities that we want to look at. There is a duty, and a danger, and a harvest, and a hope. And these are what we want to look at as we seek to understand the, the force and the hope of this exhortation that dads are to nurture rather than crush their children. Now, just before we look at these, let me, let me just say this as well. Many of you who are here today as dads and moms are, by God's grace, good, humble, Christ-exalting dads and moms. And praise God for that. It's not to say that you are perfect. None of us are. 
But Christ has saved you. And because he saved you, you love and you worship him. And you are humbly striving to exalt him by loving your wife or wives, by submitting and following the leadership of your husband, and by nurturing your kids. And so again, you're not perfect, but, but you're humble and you're seeking to exalt Christ because he saved you and you love him. However, it's possible as well that there may be some of you dads here this morning and perhaps some moms who are candidly bad, proud, self-serving parents. And that's not to say that you may not have good moments here and there, but overall, you're more preoccupied with yourself than you are with Christ and with the welfare of your children in Christ. Well, let me tell you, whether you would see yourself in, in a good light or in a bad light, in light of that, that Jesus loves every single one of us here today. He loves every single one of us. Whether we're humble and proud, whether we're selfish or seeking to exalt Christ, but God created us. He created us to walk in the supremacy and the sufficiency of his love and his will for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why he made us. And so for dads and moms, as he calls you to nurture and not crush your children, he may do some serious breaking. He may do some serious convicting. But his aim is to cleanse and to restore and to heal. In fact, as I move through these four realities, God may well be doing painful surgery in your soul, even as he has been in my own in these days of praying and preparing for sharing this morning. In fact, the first three of the realities that I'm going to touch on, the duty, the danger, and the harvest, these first three realities may especially expose, overwhelm, and break you. But again, God's good aim in doing this as a loving and wise surgeon and as a faithful and loving Savior is to forgive, is to heal, and is to restore. And that's what the fourth reality, the reality of hope, is all about, as we'll see as we move along. So, with all of that in mind, let's look at these. Reality number one, duty. Dads, you have a unique God-given duty. You have a unique God-given duty. Now, within the negative command here, verse 21, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged, is the implied positive exhortation that you must bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. You must nurture them in the Lord. And we know this because of the parallel passage over in the book of Ephesians, chapter 6 and verse 4. You might turn back a few pages to see that in Ephesians, chapter 6, verse 4, where Paul says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, Paul wrote to the church in Colossae and to the church in Ephesus about the same time when he was in prison in Rome. 
And he intended his letter to one church to be read by another church. And he even speaks of that at the end of Colossians in chapter 4, verse 16, uh, regarding believers in the city of Laodicea. And Ephesus and Colossae were a little over 100 miles apart from each other. And so it was his common intent that whatever he wrote to one church was intended for all church, which is God's ultimate intent that all of these truths are for all of us today. And so that's why we can glean these, these reciprocal principles of not only on a negative side, not provoking your children to anger, but positively embrace your duty, fulfill your duty of bringing them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And dads in particular, this is your unchanging job description. This is what God calls you to do. You're to love your wife and to not be harsh with her. And to love her as Christ loves the church, as Paul speaks about in Ephesians chapter 5. And flowing from that, you are to nurture and not crush your children. And your unique and God-given duty, we need to understand, flows from God's good creation design. In fact, just listen to a few passages from the Old Testament to really highlight this. In Genesis chapter 1, all the way back to the very beginning when God created everything and he created male and female in his image. And then we read in verse 28 of Genesis 1, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on earth. And then in chapter 2, verse 15, we read that the Lord God took the man and he put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And so you see a man's faithfulness to this creation mandate of being fruitful and multiplying and working and keeping what God has called him to and exercising dominion, it absolutely implies loving and leading his wife and nurturing his children in the Lord. It fully implies that. Well, then a few thousand years later in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 5 to 7, as God is preparing through Moses to lead his people into the land he had promised them, he exhorts his people this way. Deuteronomy 6, verses 5 to 7, he says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise, which is saying constantly, all the time. And again, then hundreds of years after that, in Psalm 78, verses 5 to 7, hear these words. He established, God established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them of their children, tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. That's the goal. That's the prayer of nurturing and building up children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord is that they might put their hope in God and not forget his commandments. 
And so you see the commandments that we come to then in Ephesians 6 verse 4 and Colossians 3 verse 21 are built upon these prior truths and they flow from that. And so dads in particular, even though there's significance for moms as well, but dads in particular, you have a unique God-given duty to raise your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, to nurture your kids. And of course, this assumes that you know, worship, and are walking with Jesus Christ. It assumes that you've repented and come to saving faith in Christ, and that you are seeking to trust and to submit to Him as your Lord and Savior. And so if you are married with children, you husbands and dads, this is what you signed up for. This is what it means to be married. This is what it means to be a dad. It's your God-given duty. As I said, it's your job description. It's your responsibility. And you uniquely are called by God to do this as the head of your home. It's your responsibility. So the burden of the obligation falls uniquely on you. And so as you worship and walk with Jesus, you're to work hard and sacrificially and to continually love your wife and to bring up your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And so all of this means, dear dads in particular, that you have to have a mindset that takes ownership. It says, this is my job. This is my calling before God. Maybe you remember the movie Sully uh, from some years ago. It's about the U.S. Airways captain Chelsea Sullenberger, who famously landed his crippled airplane on the Hudson River in New York City on January 15, 2009, just a few days over 15 years ago. And in what he did, he saved every passenger on that plane. And as the event unfolded, what happened is that soon after takeoff, a flock of birds hit the plane, damaged both engines. And in the tense moments that Sully and his co-pilot are responding to the crisis, at one point, Sully takes full command and he says, my plane, my plane. And you see, he understood his duty. He was captain of the ship. And he took full control, full responsibility, and he brought every passenger to safety. It was his duty. So dads, I would ask you this morning, is that your mindset with your wife and with your kids? Do you say, this is my family. This is my duty and my responsibility before God. You don't blame your wife you don't blame your own parents. You don't blame your kids. You don't blame this or that. You just say, it's my responsibility. And before God, I'm going to be faithful. I often hear husbands and dads whining and complaining about how hard all of this is. And candidly, I've sometimes been there too. And you know what I would say? <laughs> Shame on us. Shame on us for selfishly feeling entitled in our families, of selfishly thinking that we have a right to this thing or to that thing. Men, we are called to do our God-given duty 
and to sacrificially love and serve our wife and kids. We are not entitled to anything. We have no rights. We only have the privilege and the joy in the riches and in the hope and in the power of God's blessings to us in Jesus to faithfully do our God-given duty. Dads, God calls you to nurture and to not crush your kids. We have a unique God-given duty. Well, this, of course, leads to the second reality for us to see. Reality number two, danger. Danger. Dad, you have a real and an ever-present danger. A real and an ever-present danger. Like Paul's warning back in verse 19 of Colossians 3 about the danger of husbands being harsh with their wives, verse 21 obviously addresses and warns of danger. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. And again, this parallels uh, Ephesians 6 verse 4 where Paul says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Don't provoke them to anger. And this warning should greatly alarm every dad in particular and put us on high alert to avoid this danger. Now, <clears throat> excuse me, the sense of provoking to anger dads, dads means that you're doing or not doing anything with your kids that breeds in them a sense of anger, a sense of bitterness and frustration and resentment. In fact, some translations say, don't exasperate your children, or don't antagonize your children, or don't embitter your children. All of those are very valid translations, and I think collectively give a sense to us, a vivid sense of the danger that Paul warns against. And again, I think we all understand this experientially as we've likely been on both the giving and the receiving ends of provocations to anger. And indeed, how tragic when this happens from a dad to a young, vulnerable child. Now, in verse 21, the danger is intensified with Paul saying that such provocation from a dad will result in a child becoming discouraged. And this means, dads, that you can cause your kids to feel so frustrated, so aggravated, that they become disheartened, that they become dispirited, that they can easily lose heart and become broken and crushed in spirit. Maybe you heard that in what Matt read earlier from Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 4, which really describes this when it says, A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it does what? It breaks the spirit. It's talking about being discouraged. And so when a kid becomes discouraged, broken, or crushed in spirit, they lose all sense of hope and motivation. And let me just say as a sad a side note, we understand, and, and children in particular, sometimes you may be mad and angry, maybe not because your parents have done anything wrong, but maybe because they're telling you to do something you just flat out don't want to do. <laughs> that's a different kind of an anger, and that's a different kind of issue, and that actually relates to what we looked at last week in verse 20. So uh, maybe you can check that sermon out on our YouTube channel and uh, see what God has to say there. He understands 
So just because you might be angry, it doesn't mean that your parents are necessarily doing something wrong to provoke that anger. But again, that's a little bit of a separate issue, but we're focusing on dads and moms, dads in particular here. But when a child is broken and crushed, they, they lose all sense of hope and all sense of motivation. They realize that nothing that they do is enough. And they can't ever please or gain the affection and the love of their dad or mom. So they hit a point where they just say, why try? Why try? They give up and they shut down, as it were. So that's why I say, Dad, God calls you to nurture and to not crush your kids. A few years ago, I was talking with a 95-year-old man. He'd lived a few years. And he was telling me about his childhood and his relationship with his dad. His dad was a tough, stern taskmaster who was never pleased. And so this elderly 95-year-old man told me that when he was about 10 years old, hurt and frustrated by his dad, he realized then and there that since he couldn't please his dad, he was going to quit trying and just try to do his best on his own. He was going to put up with his dad. At 10 years old, he's thinking this way. And so here I am sitting with a 95-year-old man, but I'm listening to this little 10-year-old boy been provoked to anger and was discouraged and, and lived his whole life with that as a backdrop. Well, of course, we ask the question, what is it that a dad might do or might not do that would provoke their kids to anger that leads to discouragement? Well, in the context of Paul's whole letter to the Colossians, we find the answer. And here it is. There is one fundamental parenting failure that has myriads of manifestations, but it helps us understand what it is that would contribute to a dad provoking his kids to anger and discouragement. Fundamentally, dads, and again, Moms take this to heart as well. Here it is. If you take any approach to parenting that is not according to Christ, you will ultimately provoke your kids to anger and discourage them. Let me say that again. If you take any approach to parenting that is not according to Christ, and we'll unpack what that means in just a moment. You will provoke your kids to anger and you will discourage them. In other words, any parenting approach that is contrary to the person and the work and to the will of Christ will inevitably exasperate and antagonize your kids. You say, well, where, where do you get that? Well, let me have you look back to Colossians chapter 2. Because this is what informs everything that Paul says in all of these specific household commandments that he's giving. Philippians, I'm sorry, Philippians, Colossians. I'm just back a page or so to chapter 2. Look at what Paul says in verses 6 through 8 and what his burden is. He says, therefore, and he's talking to believers that he's seen fruit in their lives. He's heard of fruit and he's excited. He's talking to them. He says, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. And then he says, verse 8, see to it that no one takes you captive 
by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. You see the emphasis there? All of these uh, false philosophies and, and empty human traditions that are according to the elemental spirits of the world, the ultimate reason they're so bad and evil and wicked is because they're not according to Christ. And really, from that point on through the end of chapter 2, Paul has a lot more to say about the danger of the seductive appeal of all of these false philosophies that, that, that believers can be tempted and be taken captive by. Now, friends, every single one of us who are parents, we have a parenting philosophy. A philosophy is an explanation of why we do what we do. That's simply what a philosophy is. Now, our philosophy may not be something that we could articulate. We may not be able to describe it, but we have a philosophy. Well, my dad always did it that way. Or my dad never did it that way. I'm not going to be like my dad. Well, what are you, you're expressing a philosophy, you see? And see, that is ultimately worldly because it's not according to Christ and I'd encourage you we're not going to take time to do it now but read all of chapter 2 and read all the different things that Paul has to say about the influence of all of these worldly deceitful seductive philosophies think about it in a parenting context that's what's informing his command then to say dads don't provoke your children lest they become discouraged saying dads don't wander from Christ Make sure that what you're doing in all of your philosophy and disposition and words and action and heart are according to Christ. That it flows from walking with Christ, knowing him, worshiping him as your Lord. And so again, friends, I would say moms and dads, any parenting approach that is not according to Christ, in the fullness of all that means, it's going to inevitably be manifest, and here's where we, we see it being manifest in all kinds of different ways that will ultimately provoke and discourage your kids. And so if you're not parenting according to Christ, a parent, parenting a co according to the hope of the glory of the gospel of Christ, you're not really caring for your kids in the glory and the power and the love of the supremacy and sufficiency of Christ. That's the point and that's the concern. Instead, you're parenting according to worldly, deceitful philosophies and human traditions, whatever they may be. And these worldly ways of parenting have lots of anger-provoking manifestations. Maybe there's hypocrisy. Maybe there's inconsistency with rules and with discipline in the home. Maybe there's impatience. Maybe there's selfish anger and rage and irritability. Maybe there's a lot of just frankly being unfair and unreasonable. Maybe being overly strict and overbearing nagging and badgering and pestering and mocking even your kids. Or maybe you swing the pendulum the other way and you're just very, very passive and indifferent and detached and distracted and uninvolved. Maybe you're even cruelly, aggressively abusive, whether it's verbally or emotionally or physically or sexually. Maybe pushing your kids hard because you find your identity in your kids' accomplishments and significance in how well they do academically or athletically or musically or whatever. 
You're not really pushing them out of a care and a love and a concern for them, but because it makes you look good in the eyes of others. Maybe you neglect to treat your child with the respect and the dignity that they have as God's image bearers. Neglecting to remember that you are not their God and that their identity and their dignity and their worth is not ultimately defined by you, but defined by the God who created them, created them in his image. And of course, I could go on and on. But with all of these manifestations, do you see, and, and many more that we could note, the fundamental problem is a failure of a parent to parent according to Christ. A failure of a dad to parent according to Christ. According to the fullness and the hope of his life-giving supremacy and sufficiency. And so dad and moms, beware of the danger of using your God-given authority without Christ-exalting humility. You have a role of authority. God designed that. The issue is how do you use it, and particularly dads, pursuing your selfish agenda and interests or seeking to exalt Christ. If you're not parenting according to Christ, the hope and the life of Christ, you will end up provoking your kids and discouraging them. You'll crush them. And you may not see the fruit of this for a long time, but I promise you on the authority of God's word, it will come. And this actually leads to the third reality within God's call for dads, for you to nurture and not crush your children. Harvest. Harvest. Dads, you have a certain fast-approaching harvest. You have a certain fast-approaching harvest. And the reality and the principle here for all parents and for dads in particular is that you will reap what you sow. You will reap what you sow. Listen to what Paul says in Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. He says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And indeed, what sobering words these are for all of us, are they not? You see, every single one of us, all the time, we're either sowing in one of two directions. We're either sowing to our own sinful flesh or we're sowing to the Spirit of God. And in the context of Colossians, we're either walking according to our own selfish desires or we're walking according to Christ. And friends, there is a certain fast-approaching harvest. We will reap what we have sown. We're accountable to Christ. You know, it's kind of like the danger and the sobriety of credit cards. Now, credit cards, they can be useful. I think of them, I've heard this before, as convenience cards. But a lot of us know by experience that if you're not diligent and disciplined with money, and you run up your credit cards with no thought of how you're going to pay, 
eventually you're going to reap what you've sown. And sadly, the damage, as I know many experience, it can be devastating. It can be devastating. But how much more devastating when it comes to what we're sowing as parents with our kids. If we're parenting according to our own selfish pride, our own selfish thinking and agendas, rather than according to Christ, then friends, the fast approaching harvest will be worse than we can imagine. Little seeds are just that. They're just little itty bitty seeds that get planted. But as they germinate and grow and blossom, they're far bigger than the original seed. Sadly, I know many have experienced this. What we'll reap of horrible fruit in the lives of our kids that will be provoked to anger and discouragement. What long-term destruction, sometimes lifelong destruction, is done in relationships between parents and kids when such seeds of anger and discouragement are sown. That 95-year-old man that I mentioned earlier, sadly, he never reconciled with his overbearing dad. His dad died and was never willing to reconcile and address the ways in which he had crushed his son. How tragic that is. But beyond such painful consequences that might be reaped in this life, There's an even greater eternal harvest to be reaped when we stand before the judgment throne of God. And if it is revealed there that we've not trusted in Christ alone for salvation, if it's revealed there that we've sown to the flesh and not the spirit, we'll reap eternal condemnation from God in hell. And... If our unbelief and rebellion contribute to problems and discouragement for our children, oh, how much worse will that judgment be? Remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 18, verse 6, about those who would bring harm to children? He says this, But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. That's Matthew 18, verse 6. So friends, dads and moms, be sober. Be sober. You have a certain fast-approaching harvest that is coming, and so take your duty and take your danger very seriously. Don't take it lightly. Take it very seriously. And even so, let me say this as somewhat of a footnote. Please know that even if you parent your kids according to Christ and by his grace, you're not doing it perfectly, but that's your aim, that's your ambition, that's what you're pursuing. To parent them according to Christ, you're worshiping and walking with Christ. You're striving to bring your kids up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Please know. There is no guarantee, there is no biblical promise that your kids will inevitably be saved. In other words, our children's salvation is fundamentally between them and God. Now, of course, as parents, we hope and we pray and we labor for their salvation. But only God 
is the one who saves. Only God is the one who grants repentance and faith in Christ. No person and certainly no parent can save anyone. At the end of the day and throughout the day and in the middle of the night, all the time, we have to continually trust God and leave the salvation of our children in his good and wise and faithful hands. Again, even as we pray and we pray and we pray and we pray. Well, perhaps at this point, a few questions are in order before we move on to the final reality of hope. Here's a few questions to consider. Dads and moms, are you saved? Are you saved? Have you become aware of your sin before the holy and good and righteous and loving God who created you? Have you come to recognize that you cannot escape uh, the penalty of your sin on your own, nor can you do enough good to get rid of the sin that got you in that condition? But you've seen God's provision in Christ, and you've fled to him in repentance and faith. You've maybe cried out, if not in words in your heart, God, I need you. God, save me. I trust Jesus. I want to know you. It can be as simple and as raw as that. Back in chapter 1, Paul rejoices at the very beginning of the letter in verses 3 through 6 about the fruit of salvation that he's heard about in the lives of these Colossian believers and of the hope that they have. And so that's really the first question. Are you saved? Have you been born of God? Has something changed in your life that you now belong to him and you used to be a rebel, now you want to worship him and know him and walk with him in Christ? Are you saved? So related to that, another question then is, dads and moms, are you seeking and submitting to our Lord Jesus Christ with all your heart? Are you seeking and submitting to our Lord Jesus Christ with all your heart? Are you walking according to Christ in the hope and in the security and in the truth of the gospel? That goes back to that exhortation we saw in chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. As you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Paul's not just saying, hey, when you get around to it, you know, if you finish work, if you do the rest of the reading that you've done, if you get the yard. No, he's saying comprehensively, wholeheartedly walk with him, which informs all the other stuff that goes on in our lives. But are you seeking and submitting to our Lord Jesus Christ, walking according to him? And let me ask this question too. Dads and moms, do you possibly have unaddressed hurts and unresolved issues because of problems with your own parents? Do you possibly have unaddressed hurts and unresolved issues because of problems with your own parents? Christ wants to step into all of that. We can't use those things as an excuse for not trusting him, not walking with him, not obeying him and submitting to him. But sadly, in this fallen world, there are realities that impact us. And if you have unaddressed hurts and unresolved issues, Christ wants to meet you in those things. He wants to meet you. And as I said earlier, all of these truths that we're thinking about probably can't help but cause us to think about our own dads and the impact, either positively or negatively, they've, they've had on us. Again, for some, those thoughts may be pleasant and filled with gratitude. For others, such thoughts can be very painful and filled with deep hurts, maybe even impossible, it feels, to think about. But hear this from God's 
eternal word. Whatever may be your experience with your Father on this earth, God wants you to know him as your perfect, loving, faithful, good, unchanging Father in heaven. And he's not like what you experienced from your dad if, if what you experienced was evil and wicked and bad and hard. God is unlike any other, and he wants you to know him that way. Psalm 68 verse 5 says he's the father of the fatherless. He's the father of the fatherless. And in 1 John chapter 3 verse 1, listen to the secure hope for everyone who trusts Christ. The writer says there, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. And so we are. One theologian, J.I. Packer, said the richest definition of a Christian that he knew of was that a Christian is someone who knows and trusts and rejoices in God as their Father and all that's bound up within that. So I don't want to whitewash the realities of things maybe you've experienced from your parents. But Christ is sufficient, and the Father is sufficient, and the Spirit of God is sufficient. And God in his triune fullness wants to meet you in the midst of those things. He'll never stop loving you. He'll never forsake you. He'll never do you wrong, ever. Well, a couple more questions. Dads, are you loving your wife and not being harsh with them? And wives, are you submitting to your husband as is fitting in the Lord? That's kind of ground zero for what goes on in the family is what goes on between mom and dad in their relationship as husband and wife. And I'd also ask this question to both dads and moms. Do you possibly have any secret sins that you're enslaved to and that you're not repenting from? In the text in chapter 3 of Colossians, just before Paul gets to all of these household codes, in verses 5 through 17, he talks about all the kinds of things that we're to put off of the old man in our sin and to put on in the new man that we are in Christ, the new person that we are in Christ. And sin is deceitful by its nature, and sometimes we try to hide sin from ourselves, from others, even from God as foolish and as impossible as that is. But do you have any secret sins that perhaps you're enslaved to, enslaved to and not repenting from? Pornography or other sexual sins? Gambling? Gluttony? Bitterness and unforgiveness? Gossip? Substance abuse? Laziness? Grumbling and complaining? Any aspect of greed or covetous or idolatry, be it with sports or money or work or hobbies or video games or maybe just your lust to have me time? not bad in and of itself, but perhaps that's a, an idol for you. Or maybe other sins. Are you hiding your sin from God and others? Don't hide. God knows. You're going to reap what you sow. Don't be deceived. God's not mocked. Well, as I said at the beginning, with these first three realities, God may indeed be doing painful surgery in your soul. You might be feeling convicted, exposed, overwhelmed, left with the sense of, is there any hope? Okay, Pastor Greg, enough is enough. Is there any hope? The answer is yes. It's a million times over, yes. There is hope. There is abundant hope, life-giving hope, full hope, real hope, eternal hope found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is the fourth reality that we'll look at briefly and, and wrap our time up together with, the reality of hope. Dads and moms, you can have a constant, all-sufficient 
You can have a constant, all-sufficient hope, which is found abundantly in Christ and in Christ alone. That's where he's where the hope is found. The one who is sent from our loving Heavenly Father to accomplish complete, eternal redemption. This is God's remedy for all of our sin. All of our sin and failure in general, all of our sin and failure as spouses, all of our sin and failure as parents. So friends, if this morning God is convicting, exposing, and overwhelming you with how you've sinned, again, his aim is not to destroy, but to save, to forgive, to cleanse, and to heal, and to restore, and to help us in Christ. And beloved, this is the constant, all-sufficient hope of the gospel in Jesus Christ. This is the good news. That's what gospel means. This is, as the Puritan Richard Sibbs wrote, the reality that there is more mercy in Christ than there is sin in us. And you see, this is the hope that Paul rejoices in at the beginning of his letter. Listen to what he says back in chapter 1, verses 3 to 5 as he's affirming what he sees of God's grace and work in the lives of these believers. He says, verse 3, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. He says, Of this you heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. He's highlighting the hope. And then a little bit later, uh, down in chapter 1, verses 21 to 23, he says this. He says, you were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, but he has now reconciled you in his body of flesh by his death. He's talking about the death of Christ on the cross. In order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you have heard. You see, to parent children according to Christ is to parent within the hope of the gospel that we've heard and that we've received. And so God's mercy, grace, and power in Christ is constantly and abundantly sufficient. Every moment of every day for all of our sins, all of our weaknesses, inadequacies, and failures as people in general and as parents in particular. So what this means practically is that if you've blown it and if you've sinned against your kids in any way, then begin by humbly confessing that to God, fully trusting the forgiveness he's already accomplished and provided for you in the Lord Jesus Christ if you're trusting Christ. That's what 1 John 1, 9 says. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. And at the same time as you've confessed to God, if you've confessed against your kid, whether it was this morning or whether it was 40 or 50 or 60 years ago, then go to your child and humbly confess your sins to them and seek their forgiveness. In other words, do all that you can to reconcile and to patiently, patiently, patiently seek to rebuild what you've crushed because of your sin. 
and do all of that in the assurance of the constant, all-sufficient hope that you have in Christ. So dads and moms, God calls you to nurture and not crush your kids, to raise them up rather than to tear them down, to bless them rather than destroy them, to build them rather than uh, crush them, to train them rather than provoke them to anger and discouragement. And within this, you have a unique God-given duty. You have a real, ever-present danger. You have a certain fast-approaching harvest. But in Christ, if you're looking to Christ, you have a constant, all-sufficient hope. I'll close with this. You know, the Apostle Paul never married, as, as best as we know. He never married, and thus he never had any biological children. So at the surface, you might think, well, Paul, who are you to give any commandments to you know, husbands and wives and parents and children and all that, because he never had any. But he was a spiritual father. He was a spiritual father to thousands. In fact, all of us can trace our spiritual ancestry in one way or another back to the apostle Paul. He even tells believers in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 15, he says, I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And it's interesting, in 1 Thessalonians 2, verses 7 to 12, he likens his ministry among believers to that of both a father and a mother. So in other words, Paul understood the duties and the dangers and the accountability of his calling. And he also understood that he was weak and he was incompetent and he was totally inadequate in himself to do what God had called him to do. Just like every single one of us, as a, as a dad or as a mom, honestly feels, if we're honest. So weak. Nothing so exposes our incompetency and our inabilities as parenting. It's, it's just overwhelming. And Paul felt that way spiritually, I believe, because he says so in many places. And yet he was a loving, he was a faithful, he was a hardworking, sacrificial pastor and spiritual parent. Because his hope. His hope was in Christ alone. And so dads, moms, all of us, I want to close with having you look over at what Paul says at the end of Colossians 1, verses 24 to 29. And listen to Paul's testimony, perhaps from a parenting perspective. And as you hear his testimony, imitate his faith. Imitate his constant, all-sufficient hope in Christ. Here's the testimony of Pastor, parent, Paul, beginning in verse 24 of chapter 1. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known. Parents, you have that same stewardship with your children. Verse 26, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He says, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. He says, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Amen. Let me lead us in prayer.
Oh God, what a father you are to give such compassion, such mercy, such grace, such patience, such kindness, such forgiveness to we who are your frequently wayward children. Frequently like that prodigal son, wanting all of the goodies that you give, but wanting nothing of you. And yet when by your grace we come to our senses and, and return to you in repentance and faith, just like that dad who ran in love to embrace his son and to forgive and to cleanse and to restore and to throw a feast. Father, there may be some in that condition this morning who have been running and wandering from you. Would you bring them back and may they know your mercy and your grace in full measure? And for others who perhaps have know they're not perfect, but by your grace they're striving, may you continue to encourage and comfort and strengthen. If so many parents with young children, how tiring it is and how tedious it is and how overwhelming and hard it is, would you please bless and encourage and strengthen them? Put wind in their sails to know that what they're doing is worth it and that you're faithful and that you're sufficient for everything they need every moment of every day. May you bless and encourage them. And Father, perhaps many who, who aren't a parent and maybe aren't married yet have needs, you know them. God, may they know you as their Father in heaven. May they know that you are good. May they taste and see that you are good. And so to walk with you, lest they would reap the harvest of your eternal judgment for their rebellion. Lord, we thank you for your word and for your goodness. In Christ's name, amen. Amen.